When you work, you work next level. And when you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $15.99. Save $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Anderson, thank you. I am Chris Cuomo, and welcome to Primetime. The president attacked the rule of law like we have never seen. Forget the clever legal minds and devious debates. It is obvious what happened here. There is evidence that shows it, and we have it. So let's get after it. What do you do when a president dictates what is justice for his friends? We watch the president praise his attorney general and his cronies and Trump are now saying the prosecutors, they're the ones who went rogue, deep state. It's all BS and there is a trail to prove it. The deception is not new. In fact, it is the directness that's startling. Presidents usually a usual pardon for something like this, right? Think Bush with Weinberger, Clinton with Mark Rich. Why? Because they know that the institutions of justice would generally not go along with a perceived political payback. But this president is post-presidential. He is in automatic, autocratic mode. Wasn't your tweet political interference? No, not at all. He was treated very badly. Nine years recommended by four people that perhaps they were Mueller people. Are you considering a pardon for I don't want to say that yet, but I tell you what, people were hurt viciously and badly by these corrupt people. Nine years for doing something that nobody even can define what he did. Somebody said he put out a tweet, and the tweet, you based it on that. It's a lie. It's easily defined. Roger Stone was convicted on every count, all seven, by a jury, not by the prosecutors, not by politicians. The jury said he lied to everyone. Five counts of lying to Congress, one count of witness tampering, another of obstructing a congressional committee proceeding. Now, Trump, of course, was accused of some of the same types of behavior, arguably the proof against him equal or better to what they had in the Stone case. And he got a pass. So why not get his boy Stone a pass as well? What do you do in a situation like this? First, we identify and expose the wrong. For that, Preet Bharara and Andrew McCabe, two well-known targets of the president themselves. Uh, it's good to have you both here. Thank you very much. Uh, so let me talk to you both uh, equally. Preet is sitting next to me. Andrew, you're somewhere else. We'll split the difference on the monitor. Preet, first, uh, have you ever seen anything like this? No. Period. I don't even have to elaborate. You never see the overruling of line and career prosecutors by you know, the, the, the headquarters, main justice ever. And you certainly never see it when the person who is being dealt, a, you know, a, a lighter hand, that's being done so at the behest of a president of the United States who has an enabling attorney general when that defendant is an associate of, confidant of, advisor to the sitting president of the United States. You never see it. And there's a reason you never see it, because it's blatant abuse of power. Quick follow is uh, from them. Oh, no, no, no. Preet, you have it wrong. The lion prosecutors went rogue, deep state, Mueller guys. Oh, they didn't even know. The AG, he had no idea what was going on with the Stone yeah. case. Do you know whose name was on the sentencing memorandum from Monday that said the appropriate guidelines range was seven to nine years? Like a gentleman by the name of Timothy Shea. I don't know him personally. He was the handpicked replacement for the prior U.S. attorney in the District of Columbia. 
And that person, Timothy, uh, 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 Timothy was um, a close advisor to and counsel to the Attorney General, Bill Barr. So he signs the document on Monday, Timothy Shea, and then on Tuesday, after this whole hullabaloo that started with the president's tweet, signs a different document that says something completely different. After four of the line prosecutors, the career prosecutors in the office assigned to the case, withdrew from the case, one of whom resigned from the department completely. Mm-hmm. You never see anything like that. It's an extraordinary thing. So now you go to a second line defense, uh, Andrew. Uh, and I just want to give every benefit of fairness uh, before we drop the hammer about what needs to happen now. Sentence was too harsh. Uh, Andrew. Yeah, he lied. He lied. He lied. He witness tampered. Maybe the jury got him on all seven counts. But wow, this was a really harsh sentence. Uh, This was the feds doing payback for taking them to trial, the trial penalty. You know, the sent that that issue of the sentence being too harsh, that is the job for the judge. It is the prosecutor's job to calculate the range of potential sentence as per the sentencing guidelines. Now, the sentencing guidelines, as Preet can tell you, it's not a perfect math equation. There is room for interpretation there. They uh, list mitigating and aggravating factors, and it's up to the prosecutors to compare the evidence and what the what the defendant was charged with to what to how those factors are described in the guidelines, and ultimately they come up with a range. Um, if that range is too harsh to be applied to someone who's old or infirm or has no criminal history. Those are all things that the judge takes into Mm. consideration when they determine the sentence. But the range that was put forth in the initial recommendation was absolutely, according to the guideline, for someone who has been convicted of very serious offenses after going to trial, being convicted by a jury of very serious offenses. And Um, two other key factors. One, the lies stemmed from things that arguably he was doing for and to cover for Donald Trump. Uh, And two, a Republican senator said, you know, well, now we have a letter uh, that one of the people involved says he didn't feel that he was being intimidated. Well, the DOJ had that letter. If they wanted to argue mitigation in the case, they would have done it. Everybody was aware of it. That's not something the DOJ just learned about, Andrew. Of course. And, and Chris, look, how many times do we rely on the, uh, the, the testimony of a victim of a crime who comes in and says, oh, don't worry about me. I'm fine. I'm fine. I didn't think it was that bad. Would we actually rely on that mm. as a, and, and give the defendant uh, mitigating credit for the, for the victim's uh, charity? No, absolutely not. Many victims would say that simply because they've been, you know, terrorized or they're in fear of saying anything else. So I, I think that that's that factor has been uh, really grossly overstated. So now, why do we care? Uh, Preet, the reason we care is, I will suggest, uh, and you will elaborate, that this comes after impeachment as no coincidence. This president feels, you're in my hand, I squeeze, you squeal, and do what I say. Yeah, look, people can have good faith arguments about whether or not seven to nine years was appropriate or not. You know, I actually tend to think it's a little bit high. Mm-hmm. That's not the point. The point is the president's involvement on behalf of a crony who was in good faith prosecuted by his own Department of Justice, where you had the case overseen by his own United States attorneys, both the prior one and the interim one. And do we want a system in which the president of the United States doesn't just govern policy, but can pick and choose and say, you know what? I don't like that Chris Cuomo. Can you guys look at, look at Chris Cuomo? I don't like Chris Cuomo's relatives or somebody he does like at Fox News and says, I understand they're under investigation. Can you shut down the investigation? If you say that what the president did here is okay, right? And Alan Dershowitz, I know, likes to say, well, the whole sentencing system is too harsh. 
Well, the door swings both ways. Then you're permitting or giving a permission structure to the president to say, not only with respect to somebody that is close to him, be more lenient. He can say, but any particular person named by the Justice Department, go harsher on that person because I don't like him or her. That's exactly that. Right. That's not democracy. That's not rule of law. And, and every single senator who looks the other way or doesn't want to answer a question needs to face the fact that you are endorsing the idea that the sitting president of the United States can single out a citizen, mm-hmm. Jeff Bezos or uh, Roger Stone or anyone else, for special treatment, or, whether harsh or lenient. You know, like who? That's not right. How about this for an example? And look, you feel it's far-fetched. You tell me, Andrew. Uh, Mitt Romney. Hey, let's take a look at his taxes. Uh, do me a favor. Go look into him. See what uh, holdings he still has and still he does. I mean, how about they get some stink on him? And he says, hey, put the screws to him. Oh, you know what? We have him on the case. We're going to cut him a deal. You know, really, this isn't a big infraction. No, I want the max. If this is OK, why wouldn't that be OK? What is to stop it from being not what the president can do? There's absolutely nothing to stop it. And I think we saw that again today in these comments in the Oval Office when the president, after talking about how bad he felt for Roger Stone, then uh, rebounded into talking about how uh, how insistent Vindman. he is that James Comey and mm-hmm. I be prosecuted and thrown in jail. And Vindman so, should be sent back to the military. Exactly. They keep, uh, his people keep selling us this soft landing thing. You know, he's going to go to the war college. You know, that's, that's a peach gig. Everybody wants that. Now the president says he should be investigated by the military. What's to stop that from happening? Absolutely nothing. Absolutely nothing. And we know that this president makes his desires known to the agencies, to the agency heads through his public statements on Twitter. We know that. We've seen that, of course, in this case. I saw that in my own case when in December of 2017, he claimed that he was racing me to my retirement. I guess he won that race. Uh, So that's the way that he works. For him to step back now and say that he had no influence on the Roger Stone decision whatsoever is utterly preposterous. But also, Preet, question the source. I'm I'm sorry to say this, but I don't give the president the benefit of the doubt about telling the truth that he didn't have any influence over A.G. Barr. And I don't know why we would believe the A.G. if he said he had no influence. Remember how he hamana 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 through the question from Kamala Harris about anybody suggesting anything? Yeah, and he said, I'm I'm grappling with the word suggest. It's a pretty simple English word. I don't know why you have to grapple with that. I'm just going to repeat the same thing over and over and over again. It should not be the case that the president of the United States can single out individual citizens for prosecution or for leniency. That is, that is the end of rule of law in this country, and every senator needs to understand that. It, it's as simple as that. And you can say it over and over again until people understand that that's, what, that's what it's, what's at stake here. You know, we've been talking for three years about investigations of the president and abuse of power by the president. Some people don't think it happened. Some people think it did. With the Mueller investigation, with the, with the impeachment inquiry, you know, I personally feel, and a lot of people I've spoken to in the last 24 hours feel, that what happened yesterday the way he handled the Roger Stone case and the way Bill Barr enabled it and executed it for him is worse than all of those other things. That's how bad people feel. Even in those other cases, you did not have a mass resignation, a mass withdrawal of people who have otherwise served the department for years admirably. It's a big deal. We hear there's reports of other people planning to resign. Maybe Timothy Shea himself will resign. That might be the right thing for him to do. Uh, but, but it's a big deal. And by the way, it's not the end. That's right. I keep saying this is just the beginning. It's only been That's a week, right. one week since he was acquitted. One week. They said he learned his lesson. He wouldn't do again. He'd be better. He learned the lesson. The lesson think, is think about how he's going to go after. Look what he did with Joe Biden. Joe Biden didn't do so well in the mm-hmm. last two races. Now he's going to see who the front runner is. Watch him. Watch him get his Justice Department to look at 
the people who are high up in the polls against him other than Joe Biden and their family members. Mark my words, that's what he's going to do. And it has been enabled by people who, who should know better or in a position of power to tell him otherwise. You know, the frightening thing for me is I can't push back on it because it just seems as likely as anything else by the pattern and the inclination of the person involved. Preet, Andrew, God bless. Good luck going forward. And look, as Preet just told you, it's only been a week. You know, some of those GOP senators, they whisper, you know, on background, hey, look, you know, he'll calm down now. You know, this really unsettled him. He never thought something like this would happen to him. Oh, yeah, he settled down. All right. This is in one week. I will show you all the vengeful things he has done. Not just today. A compiled of each day. One thing more shocking to the next. And who has any reason to say it will stop? Remember, Republican senators justify the abdication of their oath largely by laughing off the notion that Trump was a continuing threat. They actually pitched a penitent POTUS. I believe that the president has learned from this case. This notion has proved so wrong so fast that Senator Collins is pretending it never happened. Just today, her quote, I don't understand why you keep linking how I voted to whether or not the president's learned to be more careful. We link it because you said it, like others, in an apparent play to get or keep power. And if she and the other GOPers were hoping that the president would play nice for a while to not excuse, uh, you know, expose them right away as suckers, they were wrong again. It has been literally a week since the Senate voted to turn a blind eye to Trump's transgressions each day. He has attacked institutions and individuals that he was feeling badly about. He operates like he's in a cartel, not our capital. The same day he was given a pass, his AG shut down any FBI or DOJ investigation of a presidential campaign unless he signs off, specifically declaring off limits any cases involving illegal contributions, donations or payments by foreign nationals. Literally. Trump made himself investigation proof. The next day, his Treasury armed Republican allies with sensitive financial records to target Hunter Biden. Exactly what he was accused of engineering abroad. On Friday, he fired Vindman and Sondland. He also threw in Vindman's brother. They said it was just awkward to keep them. That would prove to be a lie and soon. Wait on that. Monday, the defense that Rudy is doing his own thing. He has no real influence on the government. Remember that? It was revealed as a sham. Always was. The attorney general now confirming Rudy Giuliani is funneling them whatever dirt he digs up in Ukraine. We had uh, established a, an intake process in the field uh, so that uh, any information coming in about Ukraine could be carefully scrutinized by the department. Odd, that never came up in the trial. Then on Tuesday, as the DOJ apparently bowed to Trump's desire to go easy on his pal Roger Stone, who was convicted of lying by a jury, the commander in chief called for the military to pursue charges against LTC Vindman for telling the truth. We sent him on his way to a much different location and uh, the military can handle him any way they want. No, they can't. Because you're telling everybody what to do and nobody seems to want to stop you. And just to remind you how complete the pass was for this president, his party blocked 
a vote on three bills just to make it harder for foreigners to interfere with our elections. Now, reporting sprouting up, GOP insiders worried about what Trump will do next. Why worry? You are the ones who told the country whatever he does is fine. Now, Democrats are vowing to continue to check the power of the president. But how? We have Senate Judiciary member Richard Blumenthal here. Next. You know, again, what we're living through right now is not normal. We haven't seen federal prosecutors who worked on a case like the Stone case resign from the case. Uh, some may be gone from the office of the government altogether in protest and then have our president mock them. The president is trying to pawn off these resignations as proof that he rooted out members of the deep state. It's just not true. Let's put the tough reality, though, to Democratic Senator Richard Blumenthal. He's also a former federal prosecutor and multi-term state attorney general in Connecticut. Senator, thank you. Thank you. Hard question. What can you do to stop this president from doing exactly what he just did, even next time to you? Look into that, Blumenthal. It's got to be something. And when they come back and say, oh, yeah, we did find uh, once he did this. Yeah, yeah. The max. Give him the max. Why can't he do that if he can do what he did uh, with Stone? The first challenge, Chris, is to alarm and awaken the American people to the threat that exists. We're in the midst of a perfect storm for American justice. A president who's corrupting the American justice system with utter contempt for the rule of law, an attorney general willing to be his political henchman and a Republican majority that is morally spineless. So awareness, as you're helping to do tonight, is a first priority. I've also called for the Office of Inspector General, the independent watchdog within the Department of Justice, to begin an investigation immediately. I've called on the chairman of the Judiciary Committee, where I sit, to begin oversight hearings and call not only the attorney general, but also those brave prosecutors Mm. who resigned their jobs in protest. And finally, other options should be on the table, like the power of the purse. We have the power to appropriate or withhold appropriations. And one last point, Chris, that I think is very important to realize, the judiciary has a responsibility here, too. My hope is that the judge in the Roger Stone case, before she sentences him, will demand a full explanation. Um, It gets a little little tricky for the judge. Obviously, the judge decides the sentence. She takes the recommendation from the prosecution. The prosecution um, amended their recommendation. So I guess she could go back to the old one, but that would be unusual also. I mean, look, it's a lot of pressure to put on the judge because she's fixing something she didn't break. Um, You know, the GOP says the complete opposite of what you're saying, Senator. They're saying, look, this sentence was crazy and it was so high. It was probably politically motivated. We are actually administering justice here. We're being fair. They only did this to Stone because he's Trump's guy. And the judge can take into account the mitigating circumstances, along with the severity of the crime, as you put it very well at the very outset, tampering with witnesses, intimidating them trying to impact their testimony, that undercuts the very foundation of the rule of law. And you're absolutely right. Today, it's Roger Stone. But if the president can use the justice system as a political tool to favor friends 
or go after enemies. It could be any one of us. And I must say, there's no sugarcoating this situation. Ultimately, it's going to depend on the election because my Republican colleagues have shown they are going to enable this kind of corruption of our justice system. They have said, apparently acknowledging it, that the president hasn't learned his lesson and he's sending a message. If you disagree with the president, your job, your family, maybe even your life are in jeopardy. Let's see what happens when it's one of them. Uh, you know, if he goes after Mitt Romney, well, maybe right now they'd be OK with that. They nominated him for president on basically the same policy platform that Trump had. Uh, but now they're all silent when he's getting beaten up. But uh, just to be clear about the catalyst here, um, do you believe that it is any coincidence that since he got the, the pass in the impeachment trial, the president day after day has done things as bold as he's ever done? No coincidence whatsoever, Chris. That's a really important point. The impeachment verdict unleashed him. Ugly, alarming, to feel truly that he is accountable to no one. He can do whatever he wants, as he said under Article 2, and he will be held accountable not by any Senate majority because he controls the majority. And my Senate colleagues, and this point is important too, are more than just tacit bystanders. They are explicit enablers. They are aiders and abettors here. And this unleashing after that verdict was done by them. It's no coincidence. The power of the purse is an interesting aspect to this dynamic because the House is a catalyst there. Uh, and right now, the Democrats uh, have that. Of course, you have political problems with that because that'll be seen as you guys starving uh, the administration of justice if you don't want to fund it. So this gets to be sticky. And often the best change agent in a democracy is an election. Let me ask you to put on a different hat for a second. Uh, do you believe that your party has somebody that can beat this president? Do you have full I, confidence in that? I have full confidence that any of the major leading candidates now running for president in the Democratic Party can beat Donald Trump because I think the American people are going to realize what is at stake here. And it's more than just how much money they make. It's also the values we hold precious. You know, on my wall, Chris, I still have the Department of Justice seal. It means something. It means justice. Above all, Americans prize a system of norms and laws that underlie our justice system. And I think that's going to be a major factor. I think that we're going to be emphasizing health care and education and jobs and economic progress. But I think values count, too. Well, values count. But one of the values is unity. And we have never seen a president have a party behind him uh, the way the GOP is behind President Trump. Uh, and I say that as a compliment to him. Uh, politics is about power. It is almost unimaginable to see how your party will be as equally committed to a candidate given what's happening in your primary. You have no concerns? The lesson of these primaries, especially New Hampshire, is that Democrats, above all, want to win. And there won't be divisions, I don't think, this time about different political niceties or technical issues, I think the Democratic Party will be strongly united. And the Republican Party, as united as it may seem, and it has become enthralled, it's the party of Donald Trump and my Republican colleagues, more in fear than in admiration, are in his grasp, also cannot win that election 
alone. They need independence. They need Democrats who voted for Obama and then voted for Trump to continue to support Trump. Mm. I hope, I believe it won't happen. Well, we'll be covering it all. I mean, you know, my job is to expose. It's for you in elected office to propose and oppose solutions uh, to what we bring to light. We'll see how that goes in this election and before, because you're going to keep getting examples from this president of just how much he can flex and how much his party will take. Senator Richard Blumenthal, thank you for being with us tonight. Thank you very much. All right. So for this election that we're living through right now to be the ultimate check on Trump, the Democrats have to win. Right. Otherwise, the president wins a new term. And that is the complete validation of how he does the job. So why would anything change in terms of what's being complained about? Bernie Sanders, top of the ticket, you can make the argument right now. He's tied in delegates. Does he have what it takes to win over his party and win over enough Americans to beat this president? One of his top advisors, next. Bernie Sanders reveling in victory after beating Poot Buttigieg narrowly, uh, narrowly in New Hampshire. But his edge over his moderate rival, again, narrow, about two points. Sanders needs to widen the gap if he wants to take out President Trump. So why is he the best bet to make the case? Senior advisor from the Sanders campaign, Jeff Weaver. It's good to have you on the show. Thanks, Chris. Great to be here. So uh, I think it is fair to say that Senator Sanders has the biggest crowds, uh, arguably the most devotees uh, in terms of the energy of devotion and intensity at this point in the Democratic Party, certainly online. Two big finishes at the top. But he did not match his performances in Iowa or New Hampshire from the last cycle. Why? Well, because last time, Chris, there were essentially two-person races. Uh, and so you, you were going to split 50-50 or get one side of the 50 or the other. And this time you had 11 candidates uh, running in Iowa and New Hampshire. Uh, and so you're just not going to get those kind of margins. I mean, as the uh, race goes on and it gets winnowed down, I think you will then see candidates who are getting those kinds of margins. I mean, the, the question then, why don't you ask, how come none of the moderates got it, did as well as Hillary Clinton did in New Hampshire last time or did as well as uh, Hillary Clinton did in Iowa last time? Well, I think they have the same argument, except it's probably a little bit better fact set for them as moderates. Uh, they would be splitting a vote uh, that Bernie is not getting. That takes me to my next point. Uh, the counter to your assertion there is that he's not getting Hillary's votes. Uh, he got only 7% of people who voted for Hillary in Iowa. I think he got 14% of people who voted for Hillary in New Hampshire. And as to the size of the field, Jeff, we both know Trump had a big field in 2016. He got over 30%, 88. Not, a, not at this time in the race. Not at this time in the race, Chris. I think well, if you was, go back was, and look, it was New Hampshire was a big March. field. I don't think he got over 30% until March. He was New Hampshire, he got 30s. over 30%. Uh, and it was a big field. Democrats have had big fields before. Nobody has ever won New Hampshire with as small a number as Bernie did, why shouldn't Democrats be concerned? Well, they shouldn't be concerned. Look, we're going to have a long process. I think you've heard all the candidates say it's a long process, and it will be. Uh, we're going to go now to some more diverse states. Senator Sanders actually is expanding the base of the Democratic Party, uh, bringing out uh, uh, new voters. Uh, if you look at the college uh, precincts in uh, New Hampshire, they had record turnout. Uh, if you look at the turnout of uh, Latinos and other people of color in Iowa, was far higher than it's ever been. That was because of the work of the Sanders campaign. Bernie Sanders is creating a bigger tent in the Democratic Party. We're going to bring in a lot of working class people. Uh, we're going to bring back those people your last guest was just talking about who voted for Obama twice and then voted for Trump. We're going to bring them back. Uh, we're going to expand the tent. We're going to bring a lot of new people, a lot of Latinos uh, who haven't voted in the past, a lot of other young people of color who have given up on the Democratic 
uh, party uh, and a lot of young people in general. I give you the wait and see on that because it's not fair. You've only had a couple of contests, uh, but you have not seen jumps of any remarkable fashion in either state. Iowa was net to neutral uh, or negative. Uh, New Hampshire probably is going to wind up being uh, net to neutral of 2016, maybe up 10, 15 no, no, or so I think percent. It's turn- I think the newspapers are reporting record turnout in New Hampshire, Chris. It could, it could be close. We've got to figure out what it is. Um, but it's too, it's too early to say. I'm not going to come at you either way about that. In terms of exposing the base, you ever get the pro- do you guys have the sense within your camp that the party is a mixed bag for you, uh, that there are people in the party that are still a problem uh, for Bernie Sanders, whether it's because of the S word uh, or because of 2016, that someone like Pete Buttigieg, with all due respect, he's been overperforming. He's a phenomenon of his own to this point. But a guy out of nowhere, 30 something years old, mayor of a nowhere town, given all he can handle to Bernie Sanders. What does that mean? Well, look, I'm not going to take anything away from Pete Buttigieg or Amy Klobuchar for that, for that matter, who also had a good performance yep. on uh, on uh, on Tuesday. So, look, this is a long process. People getting introduced to folks. But but I'm telling you, is, is the party a problem? No, I'll tell you what, what the issue is, Chris. This party is engaged in a major transformation right now at the grassroots level. Uh, it, in the 90s, was a sort of uh, a corporatist neoliberal party. Uh, there's still an element of that party which hangs on to power in various segments of the party, particularly in the donor class. And they do not like Bernie Sanders. Let's be clear. They do not like Bernie Sanders. They're going to do everything they can to stop him. There's a group that ran a lot of n- nasty negative ads against him in Iowa who are planning mm-hmm. on doing the same things in Nevada. Uh, so, yes, the corporate interests uh, in the Republican Party and those that still exist in the Democratic Party uh, are very reluctant uh, for change. Uh, and Bernie Sanders for them is a real danger. Because, as you know, Chris, there's a lot of people in this town uh, whose sole purpose in being their power, their prestige, their access is all around mm-hmm. uh, who they know and who they've palled around with. Companies pay them uh, lots of money uh, for that kind of uh, access. And in a Bernie Sanders administration, uh, that's going to go to zero. There's no question that he has set himself up as an active enemy of those interests. And then you go beyond the elites. And I do think you have some structural concern there among uh, mainline Democrats. Like, you know, you saw this guy jump up in South Carolina. Uh, what's his name? Joe Cunningham. That they worry um, for all of the eloquence of the example and the illustration of social uh, social democratic principles and where socialism already exists in American society, they worry about it. They worry about it hurting them down ticket. How do you alleviate their concerns? Well, let me tell you this, Chris. You know, everybody thinks of Vermont as a very uh, blue state, but it wasn't always a blue state. And the, th- the truth of the matter is, is that it's a blue state in large part, not, not exclusively, but in large part because of Bernie Sanders. He won a seat that had been held by Republicans for decades mm-hmm. uh, in Vermont. He gets 25 percent of the rural Republican vote uh, in Vermont. Uh, and if you look at the last uh, midterm cycle, you know, Gretchen Whitmer in Michigan in the general election wanted Bernie Sanders campaigning with her. Uh, the governor of Wisconsin in the general election wanted Bernie Sanders campaigning with him. Uh, Jackie Rosen in Nevada in the general election wanted Bernie Sanders campaigning with her. Why? Because Bernie Sanders has a strong appeal among working class people all across this country. And Bernie Sanders is the nominee. He is going to win Pennsylvania. He's going to win Michigan. He's going to win Wisconsin. And he's going to win back the presidency for Democrats. Two quick responses and I'll let you go. I know you guys are busy. First, um, Bernie has got some high floor. What a base of support. So much passion for those who believe in him. A lot of them young, a lot of them disenfranchised, similar to the people that the president got. But he's got a low ceiling. They'll say he can only get 30 something percent. He won't have enough delegates when he gets to the convention. He's not going to come out of there, even if it's brokered. His ceiling is too low to win a national contest. Your response? Well, we'll let the pundits, uh, you know, 
uh, pontificate. We'll let the voters decide what his ceiling is. That's what this process is about. And, I, and I'm convinced that when we get to the end of this, you're going to see uh, all these people. Uh, I don't know what happened. How could this have happened? We never saw it coming. Just like they did in 2016, Chris. Fair uh, point. These, Fair These point. They said these... it about Trump, too, that they didn't see the movement that was behind him. They didn't understand what he was a proxy for. They didn't understand the depth of the disaffection. Um, and I, t- I say they a lot because we talked about the movement a lot. I was surprised, like everybody else was, that that group of people would pick uh, Trump as the appropriate agent. But they did. So you're right. You're right. The same thing could be going on with Bernie Sanders. The enthusiasm is intoxicating that people have for him. The rallies tell the story. So there's a flip side of that. The culinary workers in Nevada are a big get. You know, you need them there. You know this. Uh, This will be new for the audience. They do not like Medicare for all. That's not my concern. That's about a policy. They can have a policy fight with Bernie. They talk about what we used to call Bernie bros, which I think is now way too limiting a term savaging them online for going against Bernie Sanders. We have heard this complaint consistently. And Jeff, I'll tell you the truth. You know I'm fair to you guys. You know I'm fair to the senator. I invite him on all the time. It's up to him to take the invitation. They will come after me with gusto tonight for questioning Bernie Sanders' supremacy at the top of the ticket. You guys disavow them. Bernie will disavow those guys who send the snakes and the ugly messages you are going to have to own them this time around. What do you say to your supporters who are going after the culinary union people that you need in Nevada that crush anybody who criticizes the, pres- uh, the presidential candidate? Well, I'll say what Bernie Sanders says, which is everybody should engage in discourse in a very civil manner. You know, this is a time, obviously, for people to talk about policy differences. That's what this process is about. But it should be done in a civil way so that when this process is over, whoever is the nominee, uh, and we expect to be Bernie Sanders. We'll see if that ceiling holds, that you're, this mythical ceiling holds. But if it's Bernie Sanders or anybody else, we want to be able to bring this party together uh, and to defeat Donald Trump. And just one second on Medicare for all. Go ahead. You know, Medicare for all, what Bernie Sanders has said about it and how it's structured is folks in culinary and, and other unions will get better benefits than they get now. And the value of their current health care will be given back to them in wages. And you should know that there are other uh, affiliated unions uh, in California to the culinary who have the same health care plan they do, literally the same health plan. And have a different position. Who have endorsed Bernie Sanders. Yeah, I know. I'm well aware. And I've invited this senator on to make the case. I invite you on as well. I'm happy to do only that issue um, with Nevada coming up. And when we have to go to California, you're always welcome here to make the case. I appreciate it, Chris. All right, Jeff Weaver. Thank you. Don't go after Chris tonight, folks. Don't get after Chris. (laughs) We'll see. That's all right. It's part of the job. Good luck going forward. Thank you. The 2020 Democrats. All right. Listen, you got to vet them because they are going up against an incumbent that is like King Kong. Trump is a fierce campaigner. He has his party in the palm of his hand. And he now believes he can do whatever he wants, whenever he wants. So I have an argument for those who are looking the other way to what is happening right in front of their faces. Next. Please be clear. There is nothing normal about what this president is doing, specifically his abuse of power and lying about the same. And the problem continues right now. I want to thank the Justice Department for seeing this this horrible thing. And I didn't speak to him, by the way, just so you understand. No, we don't understand. Because, Mr. President, you tweeted about this, about the sentencing of your felon friend, Roger Stone, the following. 
This is a horrible and very unfair situation. The real crimes are on the other side, as nothing happens to them, cannot allow this miscarriage of justice. Hours later, your DOJ was undoing it. The same bosses who were okay with the sentence recommendation were suddenly not. And then what did you do? The attaboy. Congratulations to A.G. Bill Barr for taking charge of the case that was totally out of control, perhaps should not have even been brought. Point of fairness, I believe the president on this. I don't think he believes the case was warranted. The seven counts of guilt that the jury, a jury, not politicians, found was the kind of lying and obstruction that this president has arguably attempted often. This was not a political move that got Roger Stone. The jury trial is the heart of fairness under law. It is politics that may get him a pass. I argue Trump went straight at this because the GOP just told him he could. And sure enough, they're covering for him again. And no one has proven more loyal a lackey than the attorney general who swore not to do what he's doing right now. The role of the attorney general is to keep the enforcement process sacrosanct from political influence. I feel that I'm in a position to be independent. I can truly be independent. Or not, like blocking investigations of this president. Check. Working with Rudy on Ukraine. Check. Reversing the sentence that he was okay with on Stone. Check. And once again, the GOP sits silent or cheering it all on. It is ride or die for them. But know this, what you ignore, you empower. What you applaud, you own. And here it is as an alliterative illness. Trump's persistent, pervasive perversion of the presidency out of a perfidious sense of self-importance. And this is not about liking the policy. Just eight years ago, Romney ran on a platform of tax cuts and jobs just like this. I mean, do you think Obamacare created jobs? No. Did his war on coal and oil and gas create jobs? No. It came right out of a Trump rally. And he had the culture war stuff, too. Anti-reproductive rights, pro-conservative judges, religious liberty. But now he's a pariah. Here's the problem. Romney didn't change. The party did. Can any of you in the GOP really think that you are having your finest hour? Few of you, at least off the record, say that you would say most of what you defend from this president's mouth. The entire point of the Constitution is to guard against presidents who behave like dictators. That's what the founders feared. That's why it spells it out specifically that presidents must take care that the laws be faithfully executed. And yet we're watching the Putinization of the presidency, swearing revenge on whistleblowers, demonizing the press, claiming immunity from oversight, refusing to release tax returns, undercutting our intelligence agencies, our diplomats, now our court system. That is the stuff of dictators. You know, all the guys that this president likes to go easy on. Trump is attacking all of the things that make America great, ironically, in the name of keeping her great. Any elected Republican who can't see the problem with that is either lying or so blinded by power they do not deserve the seat they hold. That is my argument. Now, don't count on the Senate's judiciary chair to look into any of this Trump judicial interference. Lindsey Graham's losing no sleep 
He's literally wearing Trump on his sleeve. Bolo. Bolo, that means be on the lookout. The president's GOP allies, they work for you or him. Let's take Senator Lindsey Graham, head of the Senate Judiciary Committee. He says, nah, nothing wrong with the president messing with the DOJ sentence recommendation as he luxuriates in his team Trump attire on state TV. And he wasn't the only one. Congressman Mark Meadows, now the ranking member of the House Oversight Committee, also proudly shrouded in MAGA merchandise. Country over party, they say. But can we really believe where their loyalties lie when the answer may be in plain sight? By the way, were those jackets made in America? We're going to find out. Thank you for watching. CNN Tonight with D. Lemon starts right now. We all do things our own way. And since the way that each of us sleeps is unique, you need a bed that fits you just the right way. Sleep Number smart beds make your sleep experience as individual as you are, using cutting-edge technology to give you effortless, high-quality sleep every night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $15.99. Save $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com.